This Future Construct podcast episode is supported by Applied Software. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. So visit asti.com, it's A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Future Construct podcast. I'm your host, Amy Peck. And today we have a fantastic guest. It's Jesse Mubery, who is a serial aerospace entrepreneur, a tinkerer, business builder, world traveler, and currently happens to be consulting for a little organization called NASA. And then in her spare time, she's actually going to be launching a wine bar and coffee shop in the near future, I think this summer. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. So do you sleep at all? Because there's there's a lot of things going on in your life. I actually love sleeping. (laughs) I get to nine hours every night. Sleeping is one of my favorite parts of the day because you get to dream about crazy ideas and you get to wake up in the morning and just kind of like pop up and like, what are we going to get done today? So I am obnoxious about the amount I sleep, but I also, when I am awake, I try to make sure that I'm spending my time doing things that I want to be doing, spending my time with. Um, You know, I have friends that'll just spend hours on YouTube or on Netflix, and that's not really me. I'm a little bit more of a get out there and and do stuff kind of person. I I can see that because I really only ticked maybe, you know, four or five of the boxes of like all the different things that you do and have done. Um, So let's start with, you know, kind of, kind of the beginning. I mean, you, you've already built and, and sold companies. Consulting for NASA is not a small thing. So can you tell us just a little bit about kind of the, the history of your career? Yeah, sure. It's, it's all over the place. Um, my, my past is, I'm just interested in so many different things. I've wanted to try all sorts of different things. And um, I was always either naive enough or brave enough to just sort of jump into new things. Um, naivete is a, is a wonderful thing. Um, so I was coming out of university. I had a background in finance and Mandarin Chinese. And I was like, I had no idea what to do with myself. I had a bunch of like side hustle business kind of things, but nothing was really working out. Um, And I met a a fantastic uh, technologist who was building humanitarian drones. Um, And so I joined forces with him and we created Uplift Aeronautics to build drones to deliver humanitarian payload. Um, And so that was my first foray into the aerospace industry. You know, before that I hadn't like studied aerospace. I hadn't flown aircraft. I, you know, I would always look up and be like, oh, wow, there's like, there's that incredible machine flying up there. But, but, you know, I didn't know how it worked or anything to that end. And so um, we joined teams. I started building drones out of a garage uh, in Stanford, California. And, um, you know, that's how some of, some of the tinkering came into play um, and just became obsessed with this idea that you can build something that flies. Um, you can go on Hobby King and you can spend about $100 and have something that you can program and tell how to fly around. It's, it's amazing. Um, and so that was about 2013. And at that time, there was a big shift in the um, hobby aircraft communities, the like model aircraft community, um, to putting on board an, an autopilot and like 
able to, you were then able to program it to essentially do what you told it to do um, for the first time. And so the early days of the drone industry were really just taking model aircraft and um, putting in a couple lines of code to tell them how to behave. And then you started to have your first autonomous uh, drones. Um, and so that was, it was incredible. And it was incredible to watch these really, really smart people um, doing amazing things with drones and, and get to witness some of that firsthand. Um, and so from there, um, I started a company in Singapore called Swarmex, where we were doing drones for um, sort of a, a drone in a box concept. So it's a all-in-one charging data analysis, launching the drone. Um, and so the idea there was you could put a drone out into a, uh, a remote area and not have to worry about it. It would just go fly, capture the data, autonomously land, and then this little lid would come back on and it would, would stay in that box. And that was an incredible experience because that was the first time I had built a team internationally. And there were a lot of um, cultural learnings about um, dealing with, uh, you know, people from a different background and from um, backgrounds where communication was quite different. So some members of my team that were local there, they would never tell you that something was wrong. You know, even if the aircraft was on the ground burning, like burning, um, they would, you know, just work to fix it and, 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 um, make sure that their manager didn't think poorly of them, um, which was really hard because coming from a US background, there's a lot more open communication. Um, and you know, folks I've worked with here in the US, they'll tell me as soon as something's wrong and we can work together to solve it. Um, but that was one of those challenges, um, cultural challenges uh, for like building a, a, an international team. Um, and then I joined the Airbus um, Innovation Unit in 2017, um, and we were building drone air traffic control, which was really, really fun. So I get to travel around the world and meet with some of the thought leaders on air traffic control and autonomous aircraft systems. And so I felt like I was finally in the big leagues. I had gone from these like crazy hobby drones and a garage to like building a startup that deployed um, you know, pretty reliable technology to like working for Airbus, which is one of the, you know, the best aviation companies in the world. Um, and so I had the privilege of being their head of deployment. So I was responsible for the rollout of, of new technology. Um, and so it was a part of the urban air mobility unit, which is another moniker for flying cars. So yes, people are building flying cars right now. Um, incredible. <laughs> Um, and then we worked closely with their drone unit, and then we were responsible for making sure the airspace stayed safe. So if you have flying cars and you have small delivery drones and you have, you know, commercial aircraft and you have, you know, SpaceX launching rockets and, and satellites into the into space, um, how do you make sure none of those things run into each other? And how do you make sure the airspace is run um, pretty efficiently? Um, and so then... These past six months, I uh, decided to leave Airbus and pursue a passion project, which you mentioned a little bit in my uh, title. Um, I am launching a wine and coffee bar in my hometown because I really miss community and I miss being around people. And I just wanted to build a place that lots of people come together and learn about um, our local producers and learn about their, their local village. Um, Cause we don't even have a stop light. It's, it is a village. 
Um, and yeah, working for amazing clients like NASA, helping them, you know, figure out some of these hard questions around airspace. And so where in the world are you living now? So I am outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in a tiny little town called Unionville, PA. Nice, nice. And so um, pretty broad swath of interests and, and you know, I, but I love this wine bar and coffee concept, but I also think that, I, I don't know, I'd love to hear more about you know, the sort of fearless nature of your work. Cause I think that there's a lot of fear about, you know, new technologies, bringing in new technologies. And then, you know, even in the workforce and it doesn't really matter what industry you work in, there's technology coming. Yeah. Um, and, and so, I don't know, let's talk about some of the ways to, to actually sort of seamlessly bring technology in and, and leverage curiosity to, you know, dispel some of the fear about, you know, oh, I'm going to become irrelevant at my job because I've got this new technology coming in. Yeah, it's a really good point. Uh, technology is scary. Um, I'm ordering a restaurant management software system right now for our coffee bar, and I haven't run a coffee bar before, so I have no idea what it's going to look like, how this technology is going to work. And so I think some of the fearlessness is just being willing to try. Um, the FAA has this term they, they use to talk about the rollout of new technology and they say it's a crawl, walk, run approach. And so it's the initial integration and the initial use in a very safe environment and then starting to up the ante of more complex environments, more technology rollout. And I, so I think, you know, I've taken a lot from that is like be fearless, but also make incremental changes um, so that your whole world doesn't change one moment that you can possibly, you know, you can try to manage it at least to some extent. I think that's great. This episode of the Future Construct podcast is supported by the amazing team at Applied Software. They have solutions for any modern project. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and being the champions of innovation with their real world expert consultants. They have a comprehensive suite of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing with a singular focus to help you achieve higher performance. So with software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered for all of your workflow needs. BIM Designs is proud to be a client and partner of Applied Software. So visit their website at asti.com, that's A-S-T-I.com. And don't forget to tell them that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. Now, um, now with the wine bar and coffee shop, first of all, I have some people I can introduce you to, to help you with your POS system. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I won't I think do everything. <laughs> no, no, I think I think that's it's actually real, and I, and I, I, you know, we've been, um, uh, you know, you, you've been working with us while we've been in Tbilisi, and. You know, I, it, that's sort of a, a real thing and building networks to, to help you. And you don't get what you don't ask for. Exactly. I think that's such a big piece of it. And, you know, and I like your advice as well, which I think is right. You know, the, the qual, crawl, walk, run approach. Um, so, you know, N NASA in the morning, coffee shop in the afternoon, like how do you like just switch gears? <laughs> Yeah, switching gears is really hard. I would give so much credit to my team, um, my personal assistant, um, the people that I work with. Like for me to context change, I have to spend like five minutes just kind of 
wrapping my head around, okay, what are the objectives of this meeting? What are we trying to achieve? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, it does take a while for me to context change, um, particularly with more things that you're balancing, but I, you know, it just surround yourself with amazing people and um, pay them well and, uh, you know, take care of them and they'll take care of you. I think that's, that's great advice. So now is your plan, cause you're somewhat of a, a digital nomad as well. So how many countries have you actually lived in or, and visited? I visited a, a many countries. I, I don't think I could count them all, but um, in terms of where I've lived, um, I've lived in London, in Shanghai, in Singapore, and in Istanbul, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh. Nice. Okay. And so do you think you're going to stay put now that the, the wine bar is, is, uh, is opening? I'm calling it a wine bar because that's all I'm going to have there. <laughs> I mean, coffee is great. I love coffee. <laughs> well, we also have, um, one of the things I'm really passionate about now is hard ciders. Oh, um, no. I love hard ciders. I've started that up in London. Um, I'm not going to serve the ones that I homebrew, um, but <laughs> I've had so much fun experimenting. Um, so side tangent. Um, how am I going to manage all of this? Uh, hire great people, um, but also um, just plan in advance as much as you possibly can. Um, so we're going to have the coffee shop aspect only open during the summer so that in the winter, my husband and I can go travel and go on adventures and we'll have our general manager um, managing the wine bar or the coffee shop um, and then try to plan in as much uh, you know, getting off the beaten track. Cause you know, a lot of my creativity comes when I'm in an environment where I'm inspired or I'm around other people that are thinking creatively. Like, I almost have to get out of the environment I'm in and move into a new environment to be in that like truly creative headspace. Cause if you remember, I have a background in finance. And so I have to remind myself to like leave that structured Excel spreadsheet and like move into to a new uh, headspace from time to time. And there's no better way to do that than being in a new uh, environment. Yeah, I think that's true. I think every time I've moved somewhere, you know, I'm trying to explain to people, I, I, I say, you know, it sort of forces you to be the best version of yourself because yeah. you're starting from scratch. So you have to go and meet people. You have to either learn a language or, or at least understand the culture. Um, so I think that's a great, I think that there's so many lessons to be learned from, from your lifestyle. Um, and, and just this sort of, it, it's, it's, it's fearless, but it's, uh, you know, there, there's a sensibility to it as well. Like you're, you're sort of jumping off a cliff, but you know, you have a parachute or, you know, you have a bungee cord or something that's going to stop you from hitting the rocks. <laughs> I mean, it depends how you define that, right? Like, for example, something could go horribly wrong and we could lose the coffee shop, but just, I think it's also just being, um, you know, brave enough to know that you can pick yourself up and dust yourself off and just start walking again. Right. Um, I, I think not being afraid of failure is a big part of, um, is what, what enables you to be brave because yeah. you're not jumping off a cliff. You're not actually going to, the downside here is not, you're going to die. The downside is you're going to lose some money and you're going to have to make that up in some way. So, you know, in thinking about, uh, sort of moving forward and the way you've lived your life, I think is now becoming more and more of a trend, but, but certainly when you started out, right. That, you know, people weren't just going, Oh, I'm just going to go move around there. You know, there definitely is this digital nomad culture, but I think it's expanding. I think there are all kinds of interesting opportunities for us to change our, our lives. 
Um, but let's talk a little bit about kind of this, you know, local culture versus a global culture, because I think now we're, um, you know, able to walk that line a little bit better. I think, I think there's an understanding now that we have to be part of a global village, mm -hmm. uh, but then it's really, really important for us to wherever we happen to be in the world is to sort of find the sense of community. And it sounds like you've done that, but I'd like to hear how you, how did you sort of land at this lifestyle? Yeah, so I had uh, about five years where I was just living out of one of those large L.L. Bean duffels. Uh, and it was dark blue and my whole life was in that duffel bag. <laughs> um, thankfully, it had wheels on the bottom, so I was able to roll my life along. Um, but it was a wonderful time. And um, I built an incredible amount of relationships and I developed a lot personally. Um, but I I'm not sure looking forward five years from now, whether more people are going to move to this nomadic lifestyle or whether more people are going to start to be more appreciative of their local communities. Because I think there is a global challenge around loneliness that's been growing for the past 20 or 30 years. And I think we've reached a, a peak right now that individuals are feeling more and more alone in the world. And those local tribes that we used to have of, you know, our medicine person, you know, medicine man or medicine woman or medicine person um, are, you know, the group of people that we met up with to make our meals together and the groups of people that we used to go hunt with or, you know, acquire resources. And I personally, you know, I, I miss that intergenerational exchange and I also miss just having that tribe, that community around me. It looks very different than it might have 100 or 200 years ago, but I just I miss putting down roots. And I don't know if that's because I had that nomadic lifestyle. I know what that was like. I experienced it. And now I'm in a different phase of my life or whether it is just a, an international trend of this appreciation of your local community um, a little bit more, just where we are in, in you know, the world. And so do you think that, that um, you know, you're going to move into even, you know, sort of different areas kind of either within the aerospace realm, or do you see yourself saying, okay, I'm going to open up a coffee shop now and you know, now I'm going to study geology. <laughs> <laughs> I love really hard problems. And so I tend to follow really hard problems and I have a very social um, bent to what I try to do. Um, you know, my, the first initiative Uplift Aeronautics was a nonprofit. The coffee bar will be a, a B Corp. Um, I'm really just trying to find hard problems and figure out creative ways to, to solve them, whether it is through new technology um, in, this, in the case of some of these crazy aerospace concepts, or whether it is just um, you know, bravery in, the, con in you know, the way of what I'm doing, this, this wine bar and this um, coffee shop in the middle of a period of upheaval uh, for the world. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, you know, and I'd love to, I don't know how much you're allowed to talk about the flying cars, but there's been so much news about, you know, different companies sort of working on this. And I, I find it fascinating. I mean, we haven't even quite cracked, you know, the, the autonomous vehicles yet on the ground, um, yeah. but, you know, but it's all coming. 
how realistic is it in like the next decade or two decades? Like what, you know, will we have our own like little sort of personal, you know, like the, the Jetsons, which you may not remember, <laughs> but you know, it's like you fall, you know, you like get into your little, you know, flying pod and off you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a big uh, topic for debate in the industry right now. Um, early on, we were very optimistic about a quick time frame. Um, and some people were saying uh, Uber in particular, their uh, Uber Elevate program um, was saying that they were going to have, you know, city operations in 2023. Um, unfortunately, the Uber Elevate team just um, was moved to a new startup called Joby. Um, and so what's happening in the industry right now is there's a lot of different startups trying to play in the space and there are some more traditional aviation companies trying to play in the space and before um you know this past year there was a ton of investment um in the flying taxi or the urban air mobility space but because the aviation industry has been suffering so much that a lot of the traditional aviation players are not investing as much in this new technology they're trying to keep their manufacturing lines open for their core business units um, and so if I had to guess on a timeline that we might have flying cars, I would say about 10 to 15 years out. Um, and I don't think there'll be personal flying cars. They'll be more, um, mid to, to short distance hoppers. So if you want to go from the, um, airport to your city center, um, that would be a perfect use case or from the ball field, um, to your city center or from your health, from your hospital, to um, an airport or something like that, sort of like mid, um, mid length. And, and what's interesting is they'll fly very similar to helicopters. The main difference is uh, distributed propulsion. So instead of one propeller going around on top or one or two, you might have four or you might have six, um, which makes them a little bit more safe in terms of building out redundancies in your system. And then also electrification. So most helicopters right now are combustion engines, which makes them a little bit louder. Whereas if we can electrify these vehicles, which most designs are doing right now, they'll be a lot more quiet. And if you think of tens or hundreds of aircraft carrying people flying around, the noise level becomes very, very important the more you have uh, in the airspace. So there's, there's some fun trends driving this. Um, whether consumers will adopt this technology or whether they will push back and say, actually, I really like my blue skies, that is still a question that has to be answered. Yeah, yeah. Well, based on uh, some of the cities that I have driven in over the years, I'm going to say a big, I hope not to then people now having flying cars, because <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think there are plenty of challenges already on the ground. So <laughs> um, but all this sort of futuristic talk and, and vision uh, brings us to our last question, which I ask everyone. So if you can project yourself into the future, 20, 25 years, and you know, this doesn't have to be based in reality, but you know, you could build, and actually you could do this probably in your garage, but but you know, any kind of gadget um, that would make your life better or make you happy, uh, what would it be and what would it do? So when we were starting the show, you kind of prepped me with this question. I was like, oh, this is so hard. I, I would love to have so many different things, so many different gadgets. But, you know, when you ask what would make 
you more happy, I think that puts a very different twist on it. Um, I've been thinking of this idea for a while as essentially a memory in a bottle. And when you're living a really wonderful memory that you just, you know, you would want to savor later, you could do a couple of things. You could take an audio recording or a video, or you could take a picture of it, um, but it doesn't quite capture the emotion and the um like the, the scenery properly around you so i would love to have a way to capture memories and put them aside to be you know in a bottle to be relived uh in 10 years or in 15 years like being transported back to that moment and just fully being enveloped with the emotions and the scene and the people around you and so i would love to have memories in a bottle in 30 years I think that's, a, I, I love that. And I think, uh, I think actually that that will come as well. I think that might even be sort of a new uh, social media where you're able to kind of leave this uh, actually 3D experience and kind of leave it in, a, in context to where, where it happened and when it happened and, and travel back in time. Um, well, Jesse, it's been an absolute pleasure. I wish we had more time, uh, but thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Amy. It's been a pleasure.